you know, don't lead like you're, like you're choosing toothpaste is because so many of us make those decisions by default. What does the cleaning industry really talk about? Beyond Clean with Ace is a podcast to explore just that. Now in its sixth season, Beyond Clean with Ace has hosted hundreds of influencers from around the globe. Listen to people who are excited about providing healthy, positive, and proactive information. Share their experiences, passions, and helpful tips. Now let's join our host, Dave Thompson, Director for the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, as he speaks with yet another leading influencer from our industry. Good morning, everyone. This is Dave Thompson, and yes, I am your host here on this podcast. We are live on Podbean Live. Folks, we are in March of 2022, and I have to tell you, I just got a note from Podbean that says, we've achieved actually over 100 hours on Podbean Live. You know, people say, why do you do it live? That's so that people can listen if they want to join in the conversation. So we never know who's going to be on the air with us. But I do know that we have a speaker scheduled for today. And if technology works right, which sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, you know how it goes. We should have Steve on the other end of the phone line with us. Steve, are you there? Dave, I am here and I am ready. That is a wonderful situation (laughs) on a Monday morning. Let's start Monday off right, huh? Right, let's go, yeah. Okay, so Steve, before we get too far into this, um, I mean, I could go through your website and I can give people a whole list of all the things that you've done and things, but, you know, it's better for you to tell the audience rather than me, so have at it. Yeah, sure, Dave. I'll just give you, you know, just a quick high-level overview and then we can go wherever you want to go because it's been a pretty, pretty eclectic uh, background, but uh, I spent about 25 years in the corporate world. So I'm an actuary by trade, which basically means, uh, you know, I'm an accountant, but without the personality. Um, so I spent a lot of years doing analytical things in Fortune 500. Then I also did a lot of nonprofit work, um, including volunteering, being on boards. I actually started a nonprofit doing work in Rwanda, Africa. And so that's kind of an overlapping uh, 20 years of experience or so. And then about three years ago, three and a half years now, uh, left the corporate world and decided to start out on my own. So I do, I have something called small, small business, which is really about coaching, consulting, training, bringing that level of support for the smallest businesses and nonprofits, the people that don't usually get uh, you know, high level of, of support. So helping those folks out. Uh, and then I do a fair amount of speaking as well, uh, kind of about my experiences and kind of bringing this all together and what I've learned uh, about, frankly, about being healthy, positive and proactive uh, in my leadership. So that's where it kind of I felt like it was a good lineup with uh, what you got going here. Well, you know, Steve, as you say that, I have to ask small, small business what yeah. qualifies. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? We we do have some bigger clients, but really the focus for me is on those folks that are solopreneurs, uh, maybe mom and pop shops, five to ten employees kind of thing. So that's really the focus are the, the folks that are really those small businesses starting out, um, either starting out or they've been going for a while. But what I found is I want to help our communities become more vibrant. And so I'm in rural Minnesota and so many places have, you know, shut down, boarded up. And I've been asking myself when I left the corporate world, how can I help our communities become more vibrant with my skill set, with my passion, with my education? Um, And the answer really is helping these small businesses, the folks that, you know, work, live, play, shop in their communities, help them become more vibrant, help them become more successful, because ultimately they're the ones that are going to be employing people in that community. And so uh, when I say small, small business, it's obviously very intentional. We do help uh, bigger businesses, but I really want to drive home that point that I think these folks are the lifeblood of the community and what we can do to support them is ultimately going to help the community and ultimately going to help our society. Folks, we are live here on the air. As we said, John, we thank you for coming on the show and listening for a little bit. Uh, somebody else might uh, join us uh, from time to time. Um, you know, and I think this is really neat, Steve, when you talk about small businesses and communities, because we did during the last couple of years lose a lot of connection. And I think there was a, a, a real awareness of, well, what's going on in my own community rather mm-hmm. than everything else? We, we, we had a tendency to get closer to everything, didn't we? 
Yeah, for sure. It's been, I mean, we're right on, basically on the two year anniversary of when the U.S. really started being impacted by COVID. And yeah, I mean, it's it, it's different community to community, business to business, but there's been a lot of change. And I think that's impacted what, like you said, the dynamics of our communities, you know, how people interact, but also businesses have had to figure out new ways to do things. Uh, you know, the old community model of people just walk into my shoe store and hang out, that has disappeared the last couple of years in a lot of our communities. And so not only have the businesses suffered, uh, they've had to figure out a new way to actually sell shoes. Um, they've also lost those connections with the people that come into the store and the people that come into the store have lost their connections with the store owners. And it's, it's really wreaked havoc on the social systems. You know, I live in an RV park, uh, have been here now going on into my sixth year. And, you know, early on when people came in and out, it was one of the pleasures of being in an RV park because you always mm -hmm. had new neighbors. Yeah. The last couple of years, you kind of got to where you really didn't want to talk with that new neighbor because of, of you didn't know where they came from or what the situation was. Yeah. And part of that, I mean, you could be referring to that from a health situation, like do they have right. COVID or not? But but just from a, you know, from a divisive perspective, whatever you believe, you know, politically or with the masks or with the vaccines, uh, it's become a pretty polarized subject. And so I think there is that piece of, I don't know if I want to talk to this person or, you know, really invest in this person because I don't know if they believe something totally different than me. And, you know, I mean, we want to try to take it a level higher. We want to, you know, love each other and care for each other. But sometimes those issues can really be difficult. And so I'm not sure if you're referring to the health side of it or just the, you know, what's their perspective on the world, but um, it can be, it can be pretty divisive. Well, I mean, in, in all of that, and I think this is where you were talking in small business and communities used to be that meeting place. I mean, uh, you know, Hey, I grew up in, in rural America and you could go to the coffee shop in the morning, you know, the local diner, and it was all the same people yep. and everything. You could listen to the conversations. And even those had a, a, a way of disappearing. But I hear they're coming back. Yeah, I think it's coming back as well. I mean, that's exactly right. And it looks a little bit different and not the same people and, and all that. But, but really, yeah, I think that's coming back. And people are so hungry for it. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of us that are very comfortable on technology using Zoom. And we're getting burnt out on Zoom. We're like, oh, I just want something else. But there's a whole population of people that aren't comfortable on technology and Zoom. And they've just completely missed out. Like, at least I've had Zoom. At least I've been able to connect with friends over Zoom. But there's a whole bunch of people that are just missing it. They just become sort of shut-ins um, because of this thing. And yeah, they're starting to, uh, I think I think with the, with the current trends, that's helpful. But I think some people are just getting burnt out and saying, you know what, um, I'm willing to take the risks um, just because uh, I, I'm slowly dying a slow death here just being isolated. But I think that also too, Steve, lends to why you and I are here on a podcast today. I have seen a great uptick in people um, engaging in what we've been doing, our YouTube videos, our podcast, our online mm -hmm. education we have here from the Academy. Uh, it's been a, a large uptick for a while, but here the last six months, that seems to have faded because people are going back into that. And I think there was something I read, I'm not sure where, Steve, but don't lead like you're choosing toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, before we go any further, folks, I had to ask, you know, that one just caught me. So explain, please. Yeah, sure. So so the, the primary talk that I give is really about how do we help our leaders become happier? Uh, you know, we, there's all kinds of people to talking about leadership effectiveness, and that's great. There's a lot of tools uh, that we can learn to become effective. But the way that society is going, the way that uh, the workforce is going, the way that we're going is that we want to be happier, right? It's one thing to be effective, but it's another thing to be effective and happy, right? To set that tone, to set that culture. And so I've been talking a bit about how to become happy. I don't, from a perspective of, you know, here's the seven things that you need to check off a list and you'll be happier because some things work for some people, some things don't work for another person, right? <laughs> like, hey, you know, write it, you know, have a gratitude journal, uh, meditate, uh, do those things. Those work great for some people, but to just check those off a list for a lot of people, that's actually depressing because you try those and you're still not happier and you're like, what's wrong with me? I'm broken. And so I talk a lot about how do we become like authentically happier and what I found based on my own journey, based on talking to other people, based on the research, is that one of the core drivers of our unhappiness as leaders is that we have made decisions through the years that aren't aligned with who we truly are. 
you know, we have a core identity, right? We, who, who am I? What do I want? Where do I want to go? How do I want to get there? Who do I want to get there with? Like, these are like critical things that we need to understand. We need to have clarity on and then make decisions that are intentionally aligned to those. And when we don't, when that, that those small misalignments, right, either because we don't understand who we are or we're not intentional about making those decisions, we're not proactive in making those decisions, those, those misalignments accumulate into one day waking up and just being miserable, being unhappy, and not even really knowing why. And one of the, I, I was looking at, well, why did that happen? Why do we make decisions that aren't aligned with who we are? And one of the main reasons is that we just make casual decisions. We don't really make intentional, proactive decisions. And part of that is we make decisions by default. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, yeah. it's like- it's I'm getting the, all fired up here, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah you're, I, can, I can hear it in your voice. It's yeah. like you go down the shopping aisle and you just buy something because of an impulse. This isn't the way we should lead our life. I'm thinking, as you're talking, Steve, my first thing I'm leading is my own life. And you're saying, right. why? By the way, I wanted to let everybody know, Steve's been repeating my favorite word more than once this morning already. <laughs> why? 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 Yeah, if we it's don't answer critical. why of everything, then we're probably doing something wrong, right? Well, yeah, and I, I'm just, you know, the whole, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. You know, why? <laughs> why it's, it's a business. You know, I ask so many small business owners, I say, well, why did you start the small business? And they don't really know why. They just thought it was the right thing to do or people expected it of them or it's what they should do. And, and it, you know, I just I think if you don't understand why you started a small business, if you don't understand, you know, what where you want to go, how you want to get there then you're going to have these misalignments and you don't even realize it. But over time, they accumulate into into causing pain and ultimately unhappiness. But the reason I say, you know, you know, don't lead like you're like you're choosing toothpaste is because so many of us make those decisions by default. Right. We just say, well, this is what, what's always been done. And, you know, I always ask my audiences, I'm like, how many of you actually sat down? Right. And did the research on what the best toothpastes are and then did a taste test. Right. You take all you take your aim, your Colgate, your Crest, your Pepsodent, your Sensodyne, laid them all out and you tasted them. And then you made a, a, an intentional decision about what your favorite toothpaste is based on, you know, some sharp ratio between taste and and effectiveness. Well, nobody. I mean, very, nobody. Adds, except the other day I ran into somebody because that was their job. But, you know, most of us, we just we you know, we I know I'm like, I can't say that I've never had anybody do this now because they're like, well, that's actually my job. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. well, or, 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 you know, they're buying the toothpaste because of their sensitive teeth or something. They have right. a specific absolute purpose. Right. But most of us just it's because it's what we grew up with or we got married and, you know, your spouse says, well, now we're a Crest family or whatever it might be. You know, <laughs> this is what we, was so, on sale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we just sort of make decisions by default. And there's some great studies I could get into those if you want about, you know, organ donation in countries that, you know, where the default is you're not an organ donor versus countries where you, the default is you are an organ donor and the differences in how many people are and aren't is, is incredible. It's because we are sort of hardwired either by genetics or society to choose the default. And that comes into our leadership, whether we're in a company or we have our own small business or we're running a nonprofit, we tend to make decisions by default. What's always been done, it feels less risky, but then ultimately those things accumulate and it, it makes us miserable. So if we're not intentional about making decisions, I think that really has a, a, a strong risk of, of coming back and really affecting our health and our leadership effectiveness. Make decisions by default. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we do. And I think a lot of times because, you know, how many times have you heard it? Well, we've always done it this way. And maybe that's the right way. Maybe it's not. But when you say things like that, when that is your rationale, that's making a decision by default. And it feels less risky because... If, if I do things as a leader, if I do things the way they've always been done and things go wrong, I can kind of blame the system, right? Well, it's how it's always been done. It's not really my fault. Whereas if I say, you know, it's, it's a new day is done. We're going to do things a little bit differently. And then that goes bad. Now it's my fault. And so it feels less risky to do things by default. But what happens again is if I'm doing things the old way because that's the way they've always been done and it's not lined up with who I am. I'm going to become miserable as a leader. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next month, next month, but over time that's going to accumulate. And eventually I'm going to be looking at my, who I'm leading or the business I'm in or the nonprofit that I'm running. And I'm going to say, this isn't even what I want. And then we become miserable and then we become trapped sort of in that, in our leadership. 
So maybe folks, that's why I'm so happy because I'm doing what I want and, and, and I'm not doing it by default because this is what I've chose. This is the direction I want to go. Yeah, no, that that's you, you hear you hear it over and over and over again, and that's one of the things that I think leaders have to learn about their people is um, because there's so many new jobs being created all the time, and there's so much creativity and there's so much flexibility. I think people are going to be awakened; they already are to the fact that they can actually they actually have more choice than they maybe used to always before. Have to just work on the coal well, line, you know, and, think, you know. Yeah, go ahead. I think one of the things is that you said, Steve, was. You know, we just continue to do because this is what's always been done. And I think when it comes to people in the cleaning industry, you know, I've got a floor care class tomorrow. And, you know, it's like they want me to teach them how to work the same equipment they have. And I'm like, why should I teach you how to do what you're already doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know you're, you're just continuing the same mistakes, the same stuff. Just because it has worked doesn't mean that's what we should be using today. Right. Yeah, th things have to evolve. Things have to change. Things have to get better. I mean, that's that's part of the effective leadership piece. If we're just sit on our haunches and do things the way they've always been done, we are going to be capped in our leadership. Now, I do talk to small business, business owners who are kind of, they're fine with that. Like they're, you know, I say, well, here's what's going on. You're just doing things the way they've always been done. You're, you're capped. And they're like, yeah, I'm okay. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do to help you then. Like if you're already at a place where you're settled, you're, I, I say apathetic, but that's more derogatory than I mean. But if you're just sort of like, it's fine the way it is, that's fine too. That's a life decision, but don't expect, right. don't expect there to be better results then. If you're, yeah, if you're. If you're settling there and you're not training your people how to do things better and more effectively, then don't expect growth. And but that's fine. That's an intentional decision. But I think there's this disjoint sometimes between people that just say, "I'm just going to do things the way they've always been done, the way that everybody else is doing them." I might even be a little bit miserable. I might be unhappy. Yeah, a lot of people are my leaving. Are, are leaving my company. And yeah, it's a toxic environment, but it's fine. And then they expect there to be growth. They go to a chamber meeting and they talk about why is my company not growing? And I'm like, it's so obvious. But you you can't have both. You have to kind of decide. Uh, if you're going to be happy and effective or if you're going to be stunted in your growth. Do they really know that they're unhappy, Steve? Um, some of them, some of them do. Some of them don't. Uh, there are, there are several people that are just like this, this sucks. This isn't even what I wanted to do. I started out because, you know, I started a roofing company because I love roofing houses and now I hate running a business, but it kind of is what it is. And I'm just going to put in another seven years and I'm going to retire. You know, I think that they're, they're okay being miserable for seven more years. Uh, some yeah. people, some people don't. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, one of the things I want to study a little bit is I think there's some people that are really fueled by their unhappiness. Because they, they, they're so unhappy and they're so grouchy and they're so irritable and people can't stand being around them and they leave the company, but they're not changing. And I'm just like, is this motivation for you? You know, it's like I'm, I'm a poker player, too. And there, there's people that are always angry playing poker. And I just think, well, maybe this is how they're motivated. Maybe they maybe they play their best or maybe they run their business best when they're angry because I don't know how you can go through life that angry all the time. But yeah, but people right. people do it. People do it. Yeah, there are there are people, Steve. We all know them, folks. You know that are. You wonder how do they go through a life? I, I how do, how does how does anybody actually you know communicate, work with them, enjoy them being around? Yeah, and we all know those people, but their businesses are they successful or are they just waiting to die? Yeah, in, in, in some cases they are successful. I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, maybe just because the product is that good, uh, maybe mm -hmm. because they, they've learned how to separate themselves from the face of the thing. But um, but most of them are not doing well. And I think as the years have gone by, they they haven't adjusted. And so, you know, back in the the nineteen fifties to the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, you could you could rule with them, right? People were desperate for jobs. People were okay being sort of beat up on the job. Like that's sort of what people expected uh, was that I was going to go to work. I was going to be miserable. My boss is going to be, you know, mean to me, but it's a paycheck and that's what I do. It's very honorable. Yeah. It's very honorable to kind of go to work, go to the coal mine, put in your, put in your eight, nine hours, come home, get the paycheck. And, you know, we, we, we used to think of work-life balance. I think we still do in many cases. And I think this is wrong. We think of work-life balance as, okay, work your 40 to 50 hours a week, and it's okay to be super miserable as long as you balance that with free time where you're not thinking about work. 
And I think a balance is much, much more uh, integrated than that. So I think I think you do yourself a disservice. I think when you rule that way, um, it, it, like you said, it, not today, it's changed. And now there aren't that many people left in the workforce that are OK being led like that. There are some. There are some that are okay just going there, being yelled at, being berated, and just cashing the check. But it's getting harder and harder to find those folks. Well, and and unfortunately, folks, as we're listening to this podcast this morning, you know, this is what happens. And and this is, I think, where you're seeing some of this play out in our social media today. Those people that are unhappy, that have led that life and, and are still today, are the ones that are usually creating some disturbance, some issue. You know, I think about the, the, the unfortunately, the, the guys that, that work in those jobs all week long and get drunk all weekend just to survive so they can mm-hmm. go back to work on Monday and do the same mundane and their whole life. And they call that balance. I, right. The workforce is different in so many different ways now, Steve. Um, how did you find all of this working with East Africa. And the reason I say that is because uh, I've had some students come from Africa here to the U.S. for our classes. Uh, Ours was, you know, uh, West Africa. So I'm I'm Mm -hmm. kind of interested to see how all of this plays with the nonprofit in in Africa. Yeah, I think it, it definitely informs all of it, right? And I think just because it gives me a new way of thinking about life and relationships and community and work and all of those things. So as I've been investigating my own career path here in the U.S. and talking to other people and researching it here, I have this other piece of the puzzle of how things culture. And so it certainly has informed it. And when you talk about healthy, positive, and proactive, and you talk about the things that I've been talking about, leading without defaults and community and relationships, it, it all informs it. And so, I mean, I could go into it hours and hours talking about East Africa, but, you know, there's the, you know, but, but you know, they're in some ways, they're very much ahead of us in terms of relationships, uh, or we've mm-hmm. lost that. And in some ways, they're, where, they're far behind us, you know, in terms of economic development and those pieces. But uh, for them, it's so, relationships are so central to, right. to, to everything that they do. And they are very, very happy people. And I know it's very cliche uh, to say, oh, they're so happy amongst, amidst all the poverty. They are. I've been there four times. I've talked to many, many people about it, and they are authentically, authentically happy. And I'm like, why is that? You know, well, a lot of it is that they are, you know, they're, they're working all day. They're working 10, 14 hours a day out in the field or whatever, or they're walking miles, you know, miles and miles to go to the market or to get clean water, but they're doing it all together. And it's true that they don't always like the people that they're doing that with, but they've learned how to navigate that <clears throat> and they've overcome that. And so the, all of this stuff is about togetherness, but I think the, the biggest thing that holds them together, and this is a great leadership lesson, is the overarching vision for their community and their country. And so it started in the genocide in 1994 and getting, getting through all of that. And Hotel Rwanda is usually the only thing anybody knows about Rwanda, but that was the genocide in 1994. And since then, it's always been this mantra of one Rwanda. Like, we're not going to survive separate. We have to be unified. And I think that has filtered down into the communities, too. And so whether you have a a church leader, a business leader, whoever it is in these small communities, they kind of rally the troops around that same thing. One, we're going to survive as one. We're going to survive as one. And I think people get that. And it's it's integrated into everything that they do. For example, in, in Rwanda, countrywide, they have one day a month where everybody, including the president of the country and all, the entire government, shuts down and they all clean the country. For, for, for a day. So they're, they're out on the streets. They're out picking up everything. It's one of the cleanest countries in the world. They don't even allow plastic into the country. Um, wow. but, it's, but, but that sort of instills this idea of oneness. And the, the divisiveness at the time of the, of the uh, genocide was the Hutus and the Tutsis. And they, they actually have all of these government programs where if you have, if a Hutu is given a cow from the government, which is a huge, huge thing, and that cow gives birth, the, that that calf has to be given to a Tutsi family. Wow. Has a, has a child, that calf has to be given to a Hutu family. So they, they integrate all of these sort of intentional uh, sort of unifying things. And, you know, that that's worked. That, that has worked in that country. And so obviously it's different than what we're doing here. But from a leadership lesson perspective, this idea of, of actually true leadership, having a vision for what you need to accomplish what it is in your business or nonprofit or your life, your relationships, your parenting, having a clear vision of where you want to go so you don't get stuck in that 
no matter where, you know, if you, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there from Alice in Wonderland. If you don't want to get stuck in that thing, you need a clear vision and then you need to make intentional decisions aligned with that. And that's all we've really been talking about this whole time is clarity of who you are, what you want, and intentionality of decisions lined up with that. And I think if leaders, and I know I'm going on a diatribe, but like if, if leaders can just, just do that, if you just do that, if you just are clear on where you're trying to go and you're intentional about making decisions aligned with that, you're going to be ahead of 80% of the leaders. And so even though that seems like a very Americanized thing in our business, that was actually, you know, something I, th I think I learned in Rwanda based on that vision of the country and how they did intentional steps aligned to that. Well, I think that's, that's very interesting because we have what we call the Rockstar Custodian in our Rockstar program, mm. uh, Rockstars of Cleaning. And one of the central messages in there is to champion the frontline worker that, you know, supports and does everything every day, recognizing those individuals. However, there's also a part in there where we talk to supervisors and managers uh, about learning why they're actually doing their job and what their job is. And, and you know, it, it's all about a work family, not a team. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're talking here is a sense of community, the sense of family, the sense of purpose. Yep. These things are, are very basic to human life. And in business, many leaders forget all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we there, there's some switch that turned on in, in leaders and whether that's I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden you, you're a manager, you're a leader, you know, have power. And we're like, OK, now I have to be now I have to be different. And, I, you know, because now I now I'm in charge right now. I'm in charge. So I have to now act like I'm in charge. And I think that's one of the, the issues with the generational changes. Like I mentioned, you know, in the earlier generations, many people were fine with we're fine with that. But now it's a new world, right? Those people that grew up in that are now the leaders and they're like, I don't want to be that person. And so when you have somebody old school that comes in and like, I'm going to be in charge, people just like, I'm out of here. I got, I got too many other choices. Like right now there's so many people looking for, for employees, especially frontline employees. Like you can go do other things. Like, so, you know, I, I think you just have to be careful with that, but I think there's this switch that, that flips for us. Like now I have to be different. Now I'm, and people don't are generally are not looking for that. They are looking for that. Like you said, that family and you don't want to take it too far or whatever, but um, here, here's an example of, of what I mean. So, I took an HR management course when I was new, uh, a new manager. This is many, many years ago. And it was like a half day course uh, led by the HR department on basically on how to help people think that you care about them, right? Like what you should do with your employees to help them think that you care, right? And so I'm this guy. So after about an hour and a half of this, I stood up and I raised my hand and they called on me and I said, yeah, I, I know this is going to be controversial, but wouldn't this all just be easier if we just actually cared about them? Like, the, <laughs> I mean, I, idea, right? <laughs> I swear to God, the whole thing was like, here's like a little trick you can do during your weekly meetings with them so that they, so that they feel like you care about them. So and why like, don't we just actually do it instead of <laughs> right. figuring out all these tricks? You, right. You know? And yeah, I'm surprised they're stretch here, folks. No, I know. And I think that's sort of a lost thing. We think of like caring and family and, you know, all of that stuff is like a, is like a skill set that we have to learn. And I feel like if you're, if you have to do a half a day course to train your managers, how to give the perception that they care about their teams, you may be hiring the wrong managers. Well, no, I would say, what's wrong with the freaking company that's leading that way? I, I'm right. sorry, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to go higher than that. <laughs> no, and I, I think, and I think, you know, part of this is probably because, you know, where I, where I was working, there's a lot of analytical people, like actuaries and investment people and accountants oh. and that sort of thing. And and I don't know if the perception or the reality maybe even is okay. Like that's how I got into leadership myself, right? I was promoted uh, because I was good at my individual contributor role. I got promoted to manager, and so. Maybe I'm the rare case that I actually care about people, but you know, I, I guess they're they're concerned that all these analytics moving into management positions don't care about people or don't know how to send off that vibe because they only want to look at their own shoes. I, you know, I don't know what the real driving <laughs> I don't know what the real driving force was, but it really you know it really set the tone. And, and you know, and even I would have been even okay if they would have said, you know what, you need to care about your people. Like like just lay that out and then say, here's some tools that will help you you know, help you kind of, uh, you know, execute that. But the whole thing was sort of based on this premise that you don't care about your people, but we're going to trick them into thinking you do. 
You know, one of the things that we have in our Rockstar Custodian program, Steve, the last letter of custodians in, and so that trait that we're looking for in that frontline custodian in stands for nurturing. Mm. And, you know, this kind of goes to what you're talking about. We're not talking about leaders being friends, you mm-hmm. know, and inviting them over for a pool party and a beer at, at the barbecue. Right. We're talking about actually genuinely caring. You can care for somebody and not really be their friend. And I think this is where a lot of people in management have a real problem because they've never been taught that skill. And it is a skill, Steve, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, how do you go from that frontline worker to management to, and, and management's a step in leadership. It is, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. moving up the ladder. But I think this is where in many businesses, people move up through the ranks or they all of a sudden start a business and they've never really been skilled in how to differentiate between these. And differentiating between them doesn't mean forgetting one or the other. It just means that there's a right place and a right time for the right things. And this is part of learning. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And I think, um, you know, part of me, it challenges um, how do we do promotions in our company? And I think the natural <laughs> thing is, is we, you know, we assume we, we take the person who is the most effective, right? Like who can clean the most amount of surface in the greatest amount of, you know, in the least amount of time, the most effectively, and we right. make them a manager. And it might Uh-oh. be somebody that doesn't care about people. So, right. And I think that this is what happens. We don't look further than that yeah. because there are traits that person that, that a person really should be uh, uh, going to attributes that we're looking for in those managers rather than just right. efficiency. We, we feel like we should give the promotion to the person who know they would make the worst manager. But I don't think we see beyond that. And that's it. That is actually a form of leading by default. It's what we should do. Well, I don't have to really make it as a hard decision on who would be the best manager. I can just pick the person who everybody knows is the best cleaner and give them the job. Well, I think that's lazy management. Uh, so, I, I, so I really do. The two, we're back to choosing the toothpaste. Exactly. You've, yeah. That's exactly what's happened because it's, it's easier, right? And if that person fails as a manager, it's not really my fault because they were obviously the best choice for the job. It's much more risky to go behind them and grab somebody else and say they might not be the best cleaner, but they're going to be our best manager. Uh, that's more risky because if that fails, then that's my fault, right? Everybody agreed the first one, you know, w- w- is what should happen. And so I think that's tricky. And I think the key to that is then how do we honor that person who's the best cleaner but wouldn't be the best manager so they don't they don't feel less than? I know I worked in, in one company where the individual contributors made more than the managers because they were more valuable as individual contributors than they were as a manager uh, because the manager role wasn't as important as making sure that that job got done successfully. And so, you know, I think it's figuring out like who's the right person for the job. And that comes back down to vision. Like what do we envision for a manager? Is the manager just somebody that kind of has a different title and, you know, does a few scheduling things and it's okay if they're a dick to everybody? Or is that manager somebody that we want to actually come in and, and nurture these relationships and make people feel good about working here and increase retention and add to the corporate culture? And, you know, well, that's a different skill set. So I think we, we need to know what do we really want out of our manager, out of our individual contributors and those things. And then have the courage. This is where leadership courage comes in to to make that make that decision that's in best alignment with the vision. Um, and if people challenge it, you you can explain it, uh, but you've got your rationale for doing it. And I think um, if people don't see that, then they're maybe they're not not the right people to have on the team. And that that's tough, you know. I mean, every we all just want people to like us, right? And I'm I'm guilty. Of this is probably more than anybody else that's listening. Um, but there comes a time and place where just making decisions based on who will like us the most are going to actually hurt the company, hurt the vision, hurt you know, hurt the effectiveness of, of the entire organization. Folks, we are live here on Podbean Live this morning. We've had several people come on live and listen. If you do come on live and you're listening right now and you have something that you'd like to say, type it in the chat. We'd be glad to look at it. And who knows, we may put you on the air with Steve and I. We are sponsored by Jim Supply. They've been improving lives with cleaning supplies since 1930 in Central Florida. Just added two more locations to their list, so there are six locations. The family is growing. Steve, I want to kind of ask a question here. I don't normally do this, but 
you have so many different things that you've done. I can't help but go to TEDx um, as somebody that tried out for it. You've been on the stage twice. Talk to us about the experience and what, you know, for people that may not or are not know, is it just uh, get up and talk about what you're passionate about or is there a process? Yeah, there is a process. Uh, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to have gotten the stage twice. Um, it's 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 a pretty selective thing, and I feel very honored to to do that. Um, yeah, so it's it's really it's about ideas worth sharing. That's kind of the TED model. So people have heard of TED Talks. TEDx is like a regional branch of that. They're they're officially unaffiliated, but they're they're quite quite close on what they do. So it's sort of this regional places putting on these TED conferences where it's it's all about ideas worth sharing. And you typically have between 12 and 18 minutes to express that idea. And so they don't want just a good talk. They actually want some sort of a new paradigm of, of thinking. And so that's that's kind of what you're looking for. But yeah, there's a whole process you go through. And each regional event is a little bit different, but there's an application, then there's a tryout. It's like three or four different stages to finally get selected. Um, and so my experience, I actually went down, I'm in Minnesota and I went down to Arkansas to do mine. And it was actually two years, it was actually two years ago in March and it was COVID was hitting. Like, I think we were the last TEDx to actually have an event because they were all canceling. And we actually, I drove down there and it was, we did it in front of an empty auditorium. Like they had sold all the tickets. They had sold out the auditorium, but they canceled all of that. And so it was just the speakers and the tech crew uh, that were there. So that's it's very tough to do. For me, it was very tough because I kind of like lean on the energy of the audience, right? Yeah, you're looking yeah. for reactions and you're doing it just in front of an empty auditorium, which is kind of odd. Uh, but but no. And so it was a, it was a great experience. Um, very intimidating for me as, as somebody who's spoken a lot of times when I walked out to that big red dot. You know, they got a big carpet that's a big, that's a big red dot. I, I was like, I my nerves ratcheted way up. It was it was intense, and I don't know why that was exactly. It was sort of a culmination of a of a you know a couple of years of trying to get on a stage and uh, and do that talk. Uh, but it was it was pretty intimidating. But you know, it went fine, and actually not having the audience there turned out okay because they totally botched uh, all of the technology the first go around, and I didn't know that until when I was done. Um, and so I had to go back, I had to, they called me back and I had to go back like an hour later to redo the whole thing. And it was sort of, it, it was bad because I kind of, once you do it, you just kind of release it all. You're like, whew, I'm, I'm out of here. But then in a way, I was, yeah, right. Cause you're done. It's like taking a big exam. You're like, Oh, I'm done. I don't need to think about that ever again. And then like, it'd be like, if they called you an hour later said, Hey, you need to retake the test. We lost the paper. Oh crap! You know, so <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the nerves would have went just completely out of the roof. You thought you were nervous the first time. Yeah, they did. I mean, I had, I'd changed clothes. I mean, everything, and and so that was that was sort of awkward. But um, but no, it was, it was a great experience um, for sure. And so I, I talked about you know the power of shared passion and having the right peeps in your jeep. So it's kind of the stuff we talk here. I used my one of my experiences in Africa uh, on safari. And just how important it is when you're going through life, when you're leading, when you're building your team, whatever it is, to have the right people in the Jeep with you. Because when great things happen, you want to be able to share that passion. You want to be able to share that excitement with, with people. And, you know, if you're if you got the wrong peeps in your Jeep, uh, it kind of makes life a little bit more miserable. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can think of several things. You know, and as you, as you mentioned that, uh, one of my students came from West Africa uh, from uh, actually the U.S. Embassy, flew up here and took a week-long class with me. Mm. And I'll never forget him because of all of the students that have come to classes over all the years I've done this and, I, and everything, Steve, he brought back a bronze statue from his home country and gave it to me at the end. He said, mm. from my family to yours. Yeah. It goes back to what you said. You know, here he was from another country. He had been following me on YouTube, wanted to come and get the education personal in person. Uh, and you know, I, I still have that, that statue still look at it, still think of him very fondly. Mm. And he always said, he said, you know what, if you ever want to see elephants, you ever want to, he said, you just set <laughs> up with me, come down to West Africa and I'll take you on safari personally. And I, I tell I, that that's, I mean, I have so many things to say about that. First of all, like, yeah, I mean, the, the I've got a, uh, like a hand carved, uh, canoe, 
uh, from from one of the people that I visited, and they said this re- this represents like the back and forth between us, and that we're just connected and that sort of thing. And and people in in Africa just know how to do hospitality, right? Like they just they just get it. They just they know how to make you feel welcome. They know how to make you feel loved. And him bringing you that statue is just sort of an indication of we do that when if we were to go to a conference in in Africa, would we bring like a, a guest like a gift for the host? Probably not. I mean, they they just get it. But the thing about safari is do it. I mean, I, so I've been to Africa four times and they're all like humanitarian trips to Rwanda, but we ended each one two or three days doing safari. And I did the first one kicking and screaming because I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like we're on humanitarian work. You know, I don't want to be like, Oh, now it's a vacation. Like that's not the point of what we're doing, but they encouraged us to do it. They said, you're going to want two or three days. What you're going to see are going to be things that you need to decompress from before you come back. It's a great opportunity to build your team, all that stuff. So I got convinced to do it and it became so amazing. And so I tell people like right now, I'm like, when COVID breaks, I want to go to Africa and just bring people with me and just go on safari. It is so unbelievably cool to see elephants in their natural habitat or lions or whatever it might be. So I encourage you to, to take a look at that. Uh, if, he, if, he's, if, you've, if you've got kind of a built-in uh, host, <laughs> I would strongly consider it. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and you know the thing is, Steve, he, he uh, came here, uh, I believe it was, was either late 18 or early 19. Um, and still today, I get a note from him every once in a while and he still keeps in contact and he says, I'm still watching your videos and I'm going to make it back mm. to the States and back to a course with you. You know, uh, yeah. you, know, some, you know, sometime in my life before I get to that point, I hope that I can actually go there and, and take him up on it. You know, you think of all the things, the connections that you've made through all the different journeys, Steve, and you've been through a lot of them. You know, I, I I don't normally ask my guests uh, questions a lot, but it just seems like you got so many different things. I gotta, I gotta find these things out, Steve. <laughs> well, I, I'm an open book. I'm transparent. You can ask me anything. I actually prefer that than, uh, even though I'm a speaker, I much rather. I love, I, I love Q and A much better than just being a talking head. So you fire well, away yeah. with any any questions you have. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and 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 like you, I've got all so many different things in my background. Maybe not as, as broad as you, but. You know, my experience with the TEDx thing was was very similar, but as I think about all of this, what 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 is Steve's passion today? I mean, when you think of all of this, you know, you know, we're we're talking about proactive and managing our lives and knowing why. Uh, and I understand the the small business thing, but you're you're only like two years into this. I have a feeling there's another road that's coming for you. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've asked this question. I've had other, other people ask me this question too. And, you know, <laughs> the, we, we've talked a lot about that, but I've also, I've started poker podcasts. I've started a disc golf podcast. I've got all this other weird stuff that I'm involved with that I just love. Uh, I think I think ultimately that the core of who I am is I love solving problems. And I know that sounds odd. Uh, it sounds unrelated, but all of no, these no, things. No, 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 I, I totally get it. Hey, in the cleaning business, as an educator in the cleaning business, that's all I do. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I've told people, like if I could literally get paid enough money to just sit all day and think and try to solve problems, <laughs> like that would be my dream job. And it, the funny thing is, it you know, because my wife has asked me these questions too, like, I don't even know if the widget matters. Like, and this is being, I'll be fully transparent with you. Like, I loved working in Africa. I loved being involved in the AIDS crisis and the clean water issues and, you know, all of the stuff that we were able to accomplish there. But I don't know if it was even ever about Africa, if it wasn't ever about the Rwandans or if it was more about I identified this problem and I wanted to be part of the solution and I united our community to respond to that. Like, it sounds because terrible to say that. you actually would respond to it instead of here where – you, you, you're all, it seems like you're always fighting the community in a battle. Right. And the, but that's what I was doing. I was trying to unite East Central Minnesota to collectively respond to the issues over there. And we were able to do that. But I think it was about that. It was about the challenge of saying, yeah, how do you unite a community that usually is very divisive and that, that sort of thing? And I think even about all of the jobs that I've had, the podcasts I've started, all of this stuff, I feel like ultimately what it is, I've, den- I've identified a gap. Right. Like in, in the poker right. world, there was there was a gap between uh, people that were just starting to play poker 
and getting the information to actually help them improve their game and and be able to play in a, in a positive and vibrant, encouraging community. Like that, that didn't exist. So I thought, I wonder, I bet I could do that. I bet I could create a podcast that would give them the information they need and create this community where people could actually come together and, and feel safe. Like they're not going to be berated at the table. It was a problem. And I, I feel like I solved that problem. And so was it ever even about poker or was it about identifying the problem? And so all of this stuff, I think the, the undercurrent of all of this is I love really challenging problems. And I don't even know if what it's about matters. Uh, I used to think it did. But I'm starting to wonder if it ever even matters now. And so like the small, small business, I see what the need is, is identified like all of these small businesses, these nonprofits, the, the support that they get is sort of the free support from like the state programs or whatever. Good hearted people that are trying to help them. But frankly, their trainings and their information is crappy. And in, in a lot of cases, not all cases. And I thought, well, how can we give that small business owner, the same level of support, training, insight, consulting that bigger companies get. And so I started small, small business. So was I really motivated by my passion for small businesses or was I motivated by somehow I identified a need and I wonder if I can solve that problem? So I think that's really the, the core of who I am is Where's a problem? And I get, you know, people, I get, I get inundated with people saying, hey, Steve, I got this opportunity. You want to take a look at it? And I shouldn't even look at it. But if it's an intriguing problem, like if you were to come to me and say, man, I've got this issue. We got these different cleaners or these different types of things or this type of study doesn't work. I'd probably be like, ooh, I wonder if I could solve that problem. And I don't know the first thing about cleaning, you know. So I think that's ultimately, uh, as I'm learning more and more about myself, where I'm at right now in my understanding. Well, Steve, I have to tell you, my problem isn't about cleaning. My problem is about how do I get people to come to my conference? Oh, yeah. See, now, now I'm like, I'm already <laughs> thinking. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is the curse of being me. Like, I'm already <laughs> thinking, oh, okay, so cleaning conference, how to get people there? How do they get engaged? Who's your target audience? You know, like, that's where my mind automatically goes. And this is why I struggle sleeping at night because I'm always, here, here's my thing. I'll tell you this too. Like, so the, the thing that's happened over the last, like, three, four months, and my wife doesn't even understand this, like, I wake up in the morning and my, I'm, I'm solving some problem that I have no right to even be involved with. And I don't know what I'm doing and I can't shut my brain off. Like I was solving the other day, like what's the optimal, um, what's the optimal shape for a stop sign? Like uh, why? Like an octagon seems just fine. But I was like solving this thing, like in my mind, going through traffic patterns and all this kind of stuff. And I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I can't shut that off. And so I need to figure out a way to, to focus a little bit more on just a few problems. Well, I totally understand that. You know, there's a reason that I ask some of these questions, Steve. You know, uh, I'll get to that here at the end. But as I listen to you, you know, and, and a title that we chose today, folks, was Don't Lead Like You Are Choosing Toothpaste. <laughs> you know, Steve here is analyzing. He's asking why. He's going through the routine of finding out. That doesn't mean he's not living life. So you may have chosen your toothpaste by default. But... He's also looking at why am I using that particular thing? Why am I doing that particular thing? And I think that's why we do this podcast, folks. Our three words are healthy, positive, and proactive, Steve. And I think that's what you're talking about. Proactively deciding how we're going to lead small, small business, as we've talked about this morning. Um Let's first here give some people some ways they can get in touch with you should they want to. Yeah, sure. I've got a couple of websites. Uh, so smallsmallbusiness.com, stevefredland.com. That's more focused on my speaking side of things. Uh, they both have my email and stuff out there, but otherwise just email me steve at stevefredland.com. Um, Happy to happy to have a chat if you if you're interested in some of the things that I do. I, there's a link there you can just set up a 30 minute a free Zoom call. We'll just chat about what's going on in your world. But uh, you know I'm on all the social medias too. But if you go to the website, um, that's got all the links out there. You know there's there's a number of different things that we've talked about this morning, and um, you, you know it it's it, it never is about one singular thing. But here at the end of our show, I always have two questions that I ask my guests. Where were you born, Steve? Where was I born? Yes. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Lived there for about uh, 
three months. And otherwise, I've just been in Minnesota my entire life. And what is on your personal bucket list for this year? Oh, for this year? Um, yeah, not, not for your yeah. business, not for your family, but for Steve himself. Uh, that, that's a tough question. I have been so consumed. Uh, I know it's on my bucket list for within five years. Um, for this year? For this year. Oh, man. I would say to actually take a three-day vacation where I don't think about work at all. And that's and where, and where would that optimum place be, Steve? Honestly, it would be uh, northern Minnesota. Uh, I think last year we went as a we have three grown adult kids, uh, and last year we went on a little two day vacation up just up north to the north shore of Minnesota, which is on Lake Superior. For those of you who don't know the geography, and we just spent a couple of days just playing games, hanging out, going for walks, eating, and it was absolutely wonderful. And so I think. I think for my mind to truly shut off, it's going to have to be surrounded with my family. Otherwise, my mind will keep going. Before I finish this up today, folks, I'd like to give Steve a, a chance to maybe give us some parting words of wisdom as he uh, has done so well this morning. Well, I appreciate that. I think uh, it, it comes down to, again, even your you know healthy, positive, and proactive. Ultimately, that's what I'm talking about. I would say that the parting words are know yourself. Like get clarity on who you really are. Uh, I refer to the backbone of happiness as as our basically our core identity. Know who you are, what you want, where you want to go, how you want to get there, and who you want to get there with. Take time to really ask yourself that question, and now start making decisions that are aligned with that. And that's true for your personal life, uh, your relationships. It's true if you're in school. It's true if you're running a business. If you're in a nonprofit. If you're in your standard standard career. Just know who you are, how you, you know, all of those things, and then start making decisions little by little that are aligned with that. And what happens is, is you're going to find yourself becoming happier just because that gap between who you are and your current reality is going to be narrowed. And that, man, that has made all the difference in my life as I've started becoming more intentional about that. I found that I'm more, I have more happiness, which makes me more of a positive person. Uh, it makes me more mentally healthy, and it's all a result of being intentional about the decisions in my life. Thank you so much, Steve. Folks, there's a reason that we ask those two questions. It doesn't matter where you started life at or how long you stayed there, Steve said. It doesn't matter what really, because we don't know where we're going to end at. So make sure you've got something on your list right now. It does matter the journey that we do in between those two points. So our advice to you is make sure that that journey is healthy, positive, and proactive. Keep moving forward. Steve, we appreciate your time today, and you're always welcome to come back on the show at any time. I love it, Dave. I love what you got going here, uh, and I love the message of healthy, positive, proactive. It's so good. Till we see you next time, folks, listen to us on any of our podcast channels. You know where all of the links are. They're on the show notes. So have a good week. We'll talk with you later on another podcast.